Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. The joke is, we just recorded the previous episode, so we took, like, a ten-minute break, and now, surprise, yeah, we're, we're back. It's still going to be a week between. It's going to be a week for you, but for us, it has been only a moment. Only a moment. But time really doesn't matter, as we will see in this week's book. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I found new thing. I'm going to ask Hannah a ridiculous question Please, at the beginning ask of these. I found one that's really ridiculous and I want to ask, and I found one that might make a good segue. Would you rather look like a potato or feel like a potato? (laughs) That was actually on the list. I was like, who came up with What does a potato feel like? Starchy? I don't know, like, I don't mean, like, emotionally feel like a potato. <laughs> like, if I felt my body? Yeah. I but I definitely don't want to look like a potato. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous question. They kind of look like turns sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess potatoes are very hard until they're cooked. Maybe you would just be very muscular. I don't, I'll, look, I'm going to be real straight with you. My children are two and four. Toy Story is on almost daily at my house. All I can think of is Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. And how Mr. Potato Head is such a pot stirrer. He really is. He's so bad. He's always stirring the pot and, like, getting people against Woody or to do... Uh, anyway. My husband and I... <laughs> I love that you have strong opinions about Mr. Potato Head from Toy Story. I do. And then Brandon and I had this whole conversation the other night about where is his soul located. <laughs> because... In Toy Story 3, if you've seen it, part of their, like, getaway from the evil daycare is he takes off all of his parts and he attaches them to a tortilla. Uh Uh-huh. And then a cucumber. And then a cucumber. So, like, is his soul in his body or is it where his parts are? Like, I I don't know. (laughs) I Um, love that you asked yourself this question. I mean, Brandon's the one who brought it up. Sure. Let's be real. Uh, But. That checks out. I think I was probably really tired when he brought it up, and I was like, I don't, ha- I don't want to have this conversation. I feel like tired is the best time to have that conversation. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to go with I would rather feel like a potato. Okay. okay. And where would your soul be if you were this <laughs> now, potato? That, I can't answer that now. So <laughs> I don't know if I were a potato. Okay. <laughs> I just really enjoyed that that was even on the list. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Would you rather... Be able to control time or read people's minds. Oh, definitely control time. That is not a hard question. I for figured, me. but I, I don't thought... want to know people's minds. <laughs> yeah, you don't even want to know sometimes. When As they... somebody who reads student writing on the regular, <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> I don't need to dive any deeper into nope. that. <laughs> Good. What would your answer be? Oh, I do have such a deep need to want to understand what people are thinking, but I have been told by multiple people when I say, like, I would want to read minds, they're like, you are so sensitive. You do not oh, want to know what other people are that's thinking. That's a good point. Like, there's a reason you can't tell what other people are thinking. There's a reason we all have filters. Yeah, and, like, I... I wouldn't want people to know some of the things I think. Because no. sometimes I'll think at me, like, why did I think that? I'll yeah. Get away. And I've only had one friendship where I had a 100% honesty policy, and it quickly imploded and yeah. was terrible. You, Let's go with, like, a 90% honesty, or, you know, even... 70 or 80. I don't know. That's still a passing grade. Yeah. I don't know your (laughs) life. I'm not going to judge you, but 100% honesty is definitely the wrong choice. Yeah. Um, So so I'm definitely tempted to say I want to read. Can I? mm, I definitely don't want like a constant flow of people's thoughts, but if I could read it at will of just like, are they lying to me? But I I think it would break me emotionally. Like having a human lie detector. Yeah. I think it would break me emotionally. So I'm going to go with time. Okay. Sounds good. Well, that would serve us well in this week's book. It would. Because time's all out of whack. 
So let's palaver, Stephanie. <laughs> How many times can that word be used in a book? <laughs> um, so I'll begin with our summary. Um, if you didn't listen last week or you're not aware, this is a book by Stephen King, known for his horror, but this is different. This is not Carrie or Pet Cemetery. This is The Gunslinger. It is the first in a seven-book series that is his, like, I guess it's touted as his, like, magnum opus, his, his big thing that he yeah. did. It's a fantasy. It's a lot of things. We'll get into it. Okay, here's the summary. Our story begins with one of the more famous and I think quite perfect first lines of a book, which is so cool because our last one, (laughs) we talked about the first line. So here's the first line of this book. The man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. That's epic. (laughs) So that's where we start. The gunslinger is, in fact, the last gunslinger. And his name is, okay, I've always said Roland DeShane. Did you listen to this book? I did. That's not how they said it, is it? I don't even remember. I I listened to this book. I listened to the whole thing before the podcast. And they said Deschain. It's spelled D-E-S-C-H-A-I-N. And I'm like, it's vaguely French. It's Deschain. And the guy kept saying Deschain. And I was like, that's I, weird. I would have pronounced it your way. Uh, yeah. So that's how I'm going to pronounce okay. it. Okay. Anyway. You do you. He's not here. He doesn't know. So, last gunslinger, name of Roland Deschain of Gilead. The man in black is as mysterious as his name suggests, though Roland also knows him by the name Walter. After a disastrous experience in the town of Tull, and yes, that is a reference to Jethro Tull, uh, stemming from a trap set by Walter, Roland finds himself alone, dying of dehydration in the desert at an abandoned, the book calls it way station. It's like a stable. Here he meets Jake Chambers, a young boy who is unaware of his origins, but clearly not from around here. Jake joins Roland on his leg, Uh, on this leg of his quest, which is revealed to be part of a larger quest to reach the Dark Tower. As Roland and Jake journey to find the Man in Black, they encounter demons and otherworldly creatures while the reader learns more about each of their pasts before a sacrifice must be made and the Man in Black caught. All right. That is this leg of the journey. What do you think I gave you? I don't know. I'm scared. I, I don't know. I we we make it a habit to not talk about these books mm-hmm. before the podcast. But I I will confess that I know Stephanie also read the second one. Mm-hmm. So that like gives me hope that I feel like I shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like how you know that if you have hope, it must be misguided. I read yeah. it back in. I'm just gonna like <sighs> three. I'll just shoot middle of the road. You gave it a three. Can I be honest? I have no idea how to rate this book. I, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I want to give it a, an N.A., not applicable. Like, I just want to... <laughs> it's I, not a book. I just want to be like, no. I, <laughs> okay, okay. Please explain. Go ahead. Um, Because I feel... I My thought when it was over was, that happened. Okay. So, like, that seems like a three. This yeah. is pancakes. Sure. Except, except not. I don't know. Like, I, I want... To like Stephen King so much, I just oh, you do? don't. I oh, okay. just don't. That's okay. His he has a very distinct writing style, and it is not for everyone. That's fine. I guess since I couldn't decide between a one or a three, we're gonna say a two. That sounds reasonable. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, but it wasn't like Murakami where you were like one or five. Yeah, it was just like I was so indifferent to it. I couldn't okay. decide if that was a three or a one. Okay. Like that's is, fair. I see that. I desperately want to like Stephen King. First, why? First, you don't have to. I mean, it feels ridiculous, especially as a writer, to be like, I know he's the most prolific writer ever, but I just don't like him. Like, you sound so pretentious being like, I don't like Stephen King. I don't think so. To me, I just feel like ridiculous. I mean, he's prolific, that. but he, I don't know. I think probably a lot of people argue about like, is he a serious author? Because he's just cranking these out. I mean, Nora Roberts is prolific, too. And I also don't read her. Yeah, so I don't think that alone. Yeah. Well, are you giving me permission to not like Stephen King? I mean, I really am. This <laughs> podcast is called You Might Hate This Book. I figured you wouldn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I need permission from you because it's Kyle's second favorite author, and I don't feel like I have permission from him I... not to like Stephen King. And I say like I love this book and I love this series and it means a lot to me but I don't love all of Stephen King it's not really there's so much of it and they are often very different yeah like and you're not really a horror person I'm not I know so when people hear like I really like Stephen King it's like not 
Yeah. You know, I mean, I've read Carrie and I've read The Shining and I've read Salem's Lot. They're fine. But like, this is what I love. This and The Stand. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Kyle's favorite author is Brandon Sanderson, but his second favorite author is definitely Stephen King. Mm -hmm. Um, Kyle loves Stephen King so much that he and our friend Jordan took off work one day in the fall to have a Stephen King movie watching day where the two of them just sat and watched Stephen King movies. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, you seem to have a feeling about that. I do. <laughs> Tell I, me. So, like I said, this series of books in particular very important to me and very important to my husband Brandon. We both agree his movie history is spotty at best. <laughs> and often the best quote Stephen King movies are the ones that he had nothing to do with. Yeah. He's a he's a novelist. He is not a screenwriter. Right. Um <laughs> The best example of that is The Shining. Like, I, I've read the book. The book is good. I enjoyed it. I love the Stanley Kubrick movie version of The Shining. Stephen King had nothing to do with it. It varies widely from the book. I like the book, and I still love that movie. He redid that movie as, like, a mini series for television that follows the book more closely. It is not good. <laughs> so I just... That's another thing. His movies are also... I just separate them from the books. Yeah. Well... Kyle and Jordan had a movie, a Stephen King movie watching day where they both used like vacation days. Oh. Um, I would do that for Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I don't want to do that for Stephen King. And Kyle and I want to eventually take a trip uh, where we fly to Maine yes. and then do a road trip to Montreal. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, and I asked Kyle, like, what would you want to do in Maine? And he was like, go to Bangor, Maine and see the Stephen King Museum. And like, that's... I would like to do that, too. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's the only thing for the entire trip. He's like, that's what I want to do. So you can do all the rest of the stuff. And I will just also be there. He just wants to go to the Stephen King Museum. That's fun. Bangor, Maine is also where the uh, first ever supernatural soap opera was set. Dark Shadows. <laughs> of course. So uh, I would like to of go there. Of course you would have a fun fact about Dark Shadows. <laughs> I would like to go to Bangor for multiple reasons. <laughs> So, my marriage might be on the line for this one, but... It survived Dritzt. Yeah. He's definitely much more attached to Stephen King than that. Oh, is he? I didn't know that. Okay. I like to think that I have given Stephen King a fair chance. I've read Mr. Mercedes, The Outsider, Pet Cemetery, Salem's Lot, this book, the second book in this series, Mm -hmm. and parts of it. I've watched the movies It, The Shining, Misery, Carrie, The Green Mile, Pet Cemetery, and the shows 112263, The outsider and the stand so i have ingested you've watched the stand Ugh, <laughs> that hurts my heart <laughs> did you not watch that show at all i watched her, uh, the book uh, the book is great not the show i mean the shows were exactly fine yes um and the move the it movies are good i've never seen them i've never seen the old one i've not seen the new one they're good but the other movies are also the movies and shows are okay. The books have the common theme of getting me interested in the beginning. Okay. Losing me in the middle and punishing me in the end, which is exactly <laughs> what happened here, too. Okay, okay. I liked the beginning. I was in it. I started listening to it and I was like, okay. So I have to tell you a secret. I actually okay. had previously read this book. Oh. So like I didn't realize that. Many, many years ago, like Eight years ago, I read this book on Kyle's recommendation and then read the second one because I was told that it was better. So you've read both of these books twice now. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, And then I started the third one and said... Can't can't keep going. But when you asked how I read it, I was like, I literally do not remember a single thing about this book. It is as if I have not read it. And like I said, with the rating, I wanted to give it an N.A., it's like I didn't read it again. Like, that okay. is the impact this book had on me. So I felt like I wasn't lying to you when you are like, have you read this book? I was like, I, no, might as, I might as well not have. I'm with you right there. There are some books I have reread, and I'm like, I do not recall any of this. Yeah. Before I talk about this book, I'll talk about Stephen King. Okay. I've never liked the language Stephen King uses. Mm-hmm. It's it's real rough around the edges for me. Yep. Um. I'm not sure how I feel about it because I know that King is a staunch liberal in real life. Like, go to his Twitter page. He's definitely against racism and sexism and homophobia, and he makes those things very known. But his books are rife with slurs and horrible depictions of women, and they always use the N-word, and I'm just like, Stephen! 
stop it. And they make me uncomfortable, but not in a way where, like, literature should make you uncomfortable and push you outside your boundaries. I'm like, no, I'm just uncomfortable. And he, mm-hmm. every book is like that. And this one did it, too. I happen to know, even though the N-word was not used in this particular volume of the series, once you move on, oh, yes. you will find it. Well, you don't, many times. you don't get introduced to a specific character until yeah, the I, second book. Yeah. Book two has it on repeat. So, in this book... Every woman the gunslinger encounters literally begs him for sex, and after a nice visceral description from King about how ready the woman is for that sex, physically, the gunslinger begrudgingly agrees to give her a a pity bang. One of them is not a real... it's a succubus. Sure, sure. Yes, you are correct. I just think that's really funny. Like, my journey has been very difficult, very harrowing. Every woman I encounter must have sex with me. Yes. My life is very hard. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> that's what she said. Almost always, it's like not before mentioning that he doesn't particularly want to have sex with this woman because she's like obviously past her prime and that's kind of gross when women are older and not as pretty as they used to be. Or not alive. Yeah. (laughs) And these whorish women are evil enchantresses bewitching him and distracting him from his main purpose. But I will concede to stop and have sex with them. Some examples from the novel itself. The gunslinger, uh, so he goes into a tavern and wants information from the woman behind the bar. I guess maybe you know my price, she said. I got an itch I used to be able to take care of, but now I can't. He looked at her steadily. The scar would not show in the dark. Her body was lean enough, so the desert and grit and grind hadn't been able to sag everything. She'd once been pretty, maybe even beautiful. Not that it mattered. It would not have mattered if the grave beetles had nested in the arid blackness of her womb. Ugh. Later, he interrogates a man outside this man's home, and the man has grown daughters, who one of of whom is depicted thus. Yuck. A full-grown one, blonde, dirty, and sensual, watched with a speculative curiosity as she drew water from the groaning pump beside the building. She caught the gunslinger's eye, pinched her nipples between her fingers, dropped him a wink, and then went back to pumping. Gross. As one so often does when meeting new people. (laughs) Yes, that is my standard greeting, of course. Oh. Uh, Yeah, it's gross. Like, all the women he meets are depicted as, like, I can barely control myself horny, and they just must merely glimpse him before they're just, like, this is my issue with King's work. This That's fair. This is not uncommon. That vibe is pervasive throughout his work, and I'm just not a fan. Yeah, I I get that. I want my erotica to be completely different (laughs) than that. (laughs) I I do think it serves a purpose in this book. Um, I cannot speak for all. I think you've actually read more of Stephen King than I have. Okay. When you list, um, yeah, because I've pretty much stuck to mostly his like his fantasy stuff. This series, The Stand. Because, like, this whole world is a fallen world. And, like, you're exactly right. He also depicts the men of that town pretty disgustingly, too. Like, the dad yeah. of that girl at the pump. Is who's, gross. Who's clearly incestuous and, like, at one point has one of his daughter's boobs in his hand. Like, wow. They're all, they're all disgusting. The people are gross. It, yeah. The um, people are gross. Which, you know, the, the world has moved on, mm-hmm. as, as the novel reminds you over and over again. Um, there's some problems. So I think but, it definitely... Sets a scene. <laughs> it do, it may serve a purpose in this book, but I would argue that King, as an author, does that in his work mm-hmm. with dubious uh, purpose. Regularity. Yeah, like, it's not always serving a purpose. So when I found it here, I was just like, Ugh, you, you were did already it. You did it again. It. Yeah. Yeah, it. and knowing that the N-word is used so often in the next book, which mm-hmm. I he could also argue serves a purpose, but whatever. Second point. As I mentioned, I read this book and remembered... Not a word of it. Right. I found the plot to be deeply lacking. Okay. So what we know early on, as in, like, page one maybe, like, chapter one at least, there is a gunslinger. Mm -hmm. We're in a world that closely parallels our own, but is not our own. He is following the man in black, who is bad. Roland is good. That is what we know, chapter one. Would you say Roland is good? Roland is our protagonist. I, I mean, I think you can use the word hero, like, in, in a quest sort of way. Yeah. Like, hero's Maybe journey. is not is good, but he's... Yeah. Okay. He's our guy. Right. He's our guy. Right. Sure. Okay. 
What we know, 11 hours later, at the end of the book, there is a gunslinger called Roland. We're in a world that closely parallels our own, but is not our own. He followed the man in black, who was bad, until he caught him. Roland is still our guy. There is also a tower. <laughs> I like your I like your summaries as always. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yep. And just throw in some incredibly wordy descriptions, some mm. really long stretches in a dot a dry sandy desert, cryptic prophecies. Yes. Several jawbones for oh, question yes. mark reason. Uh, um their magic protection. Protection, yeah. The mm-hmm. jawbones are magic. It's a biblical allegory. Oh, we can talk about I should later. know that. A donkey's jawbone. Yeah, 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 oh yeah, yeah. man. It's, it's like okay. I didn't even grow up being pounded with religious information. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Uh, so disappointing. And just long-winded, repetitive existential crisis at, about the size of the universe at the end that goes oh, on yeah. for far too yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed yeah. that. So that, that was the whole book. Mm-hmm. It, I was like, what? And I do know that this is part of a series. Yeah. This is only the first book in a series. Um, that apparently gets much better later on. I think so. And Kyle and I disagree on this matter, so I would love your opinion. Okay. I would personally love for you um, to agree with me on the record. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you I'll know, see what I can have do. whatever feelings you want to have. Oh, I will. Um <laughs> I think that even if something is part of a series, it should be able to stand alone. That it feels like a complete work that is obviously going to continue, but it's not like without the rest of the parts, this is useless. Okay. Does that make sense? Like, uh, I thought a good example would be the Name of the Wind series, which I know you've read. I read the first one. Okay. Well, like, you know that the series continues. Right. If he ever writes it. Yeah, that's... LOL. Patrick Rothfuss. Um... So you know that there's more, you know it's a series, but the book on its own has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it is a complete work. Yes. I don't like... Structurally. Yeah, I don't like when the excuse for a bad first book is, well, the series continues. Uh, not if I won't read it, because the first book didn't have content. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. I think that a volume... J.K. Rowling, each of those books has, right. and that's that's very YA, that's very predictable and easy. You always know that. But it's gonna easy to look at the structure because of that. Like, there is the overarching story, but yeah. then there's always the, like, individual. Yes, there needs to be an individual volume story that goes within the overarching story. Mm-hmm. If a volume cannot be useful without the other volumes that may or may not even exist yet, you haven't done it. And Kyle just disagrees with me on this, but... Um, I see what you're saying. I think I agree and I disagree. I think the first one probably needs to stand on its own. Sometimes the middle ones, I don't think, are... Right, when you're more established as a series. But especially the first one, if you don't give me anything, like, Like, why... Like, I'm thinking about the Fellowship of the Ring versus the Two Towers. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like the Fellowship really can stand... Like, it has that plot structure and, like, the Fellowship... Cre- is created and then breaks apart by the end, so you see that whole like thing. Whereas the two towers is just like you got these two storylines that are just yeah, trudging it's just to their places, stuff in the middle between one and three. Like middles of trilogies are hard, I think. And I get that, and I can appreciate that more, but especially the first one. Mm-hmm. And like I complained about this a little bit with uh, Homeland, which was also the first of a a not, trilogy not a f- within another yeah. bunch of books. Yeah. Um, and Kyle was like, "You're missing the point." I don't know. I, I especially think the first one of a series needs... You know it continues, so I don't mean that it stands alone in that sense, but right. it stands alone as as a work. Yeah, I think it's important for that first one. I, I So in that way, I agree with you. I think this one does do that, though, structurally. Because I think this book, to me, is the story... So it does that thing. It doesn't hold your hand like Salvatore does with Dritz. It just drops you in, like... Roland's in the middle of this quest, and yeah. you don't even really know what the Dark Tower is, and you're like, okay. So that's not what this story is about. We're not trying to establish the quest itself, necessarily. But to me, this the Gunslinger is the story of Roland and Jake. And I also didn't understand... They walk together for a while... Jake doesn't remember stuff, but kind of remembers stuff, and then Did you the end. see a parallel between Jake and Roland's Hawk David when he was a young boy? Nope. So, th- okay. That became clear to me the second time I read it, and so that solidified to me, like, that the arc of this book 
is really just dealing with the sacrifices you make on while you're trying to pursue something. Um, I don't know how much I should get into the plot. I don't know. This book's been out for a while, you guys. If you haven't read it, <laughs> that's on you, but, I guess. I mean, because it's, it's structured in a way you've got the, like, events of the novel, but then there's also lots of flashbacks. Yeah. And Roland, to pass this test into manhood, when he was young, he had to best his his physical phys ed teacher, I guess. We'll, we'll call him that. <laughs> his PE teacher. He was yeah. the most intense PE teacher, but he trained all future gunslingers and he had to best him in a battle, a physical battle, and you get to choose your weapon. And he chose this hawk, David, that he had befriended. He was an old hawk and he knew and told the hawk beforehand, like, you're probably going to die, buddy, but you're going to do it for me so I can pass this test. And then there's Jake, this boy yeah. he meets on this journey. They have a connection almost instantly. He develops, you know, fatherly, I guess we can call it, feelings for this boy. But He like, says that he loves Jake in yes, the book. Yes, but he knows, like, I can't continue this quest I'm already on that I have to do and love this person and they'll get through it with me. Like, so I know something's going to happen to him for the, like, so those two parallels to yeah, me. Yeah, I see that. Out. I don't know. To me, it just, it felt very hollow, like, especially towards the end while they're, like, walking t- towards the end. Um, Jake's like getting really sassy because he knows yes, he knows what's he gonna knows happen. what's gonna happen, and I'm he's like I know you're gonna kill me, and the gunslinger's like no nobody it's probably it's gonna be fine, and I was like why does he have to die, and why if he does have to die don't we just say you gotta die mm. like it wasn't clear why he needed to die in my opinion, and. They were just, like, hemming and hawing back and forth. I'm pretty sure he's going to kill me. No, buddy, I'm not going to kill you. I'm pretty sure he's going to kill me. Well, he doesn't kill him. It doesn't kill You're going to to, allow for me to... He has to leave him behind in order to pursue the thing he's already pursuing. I just didn't... I didn't understand why Jake had to die. I didn't understand how he knew. I didn't understand why the gunslinger was lying. I... And that's fair. And I guess this is where I see Kyle's point. Because... I I have the benefit of I know how the whole series goes. Yeah, you know how it fits so, together. Um, and even, like, this was the first time I had reread this book, having finished the whole series. Mm. I had read it twice before, and then, so this was my third time. But the first time I read it, and I got a couple books in and then put it down, and then I went back and started again and did the whole series. And now this is the first read where I know the whole story, and so many things were so much clearer to me. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I think it, I think, yes, a book should be able to stand alone, at least structurally, but then also it's always going to be richer when you have the fuller, yeah. the fuller picture. So I, to me, I was just like, this book didn't have anything for me. Like the plot was, as for, I, for as you, I summarized you, it, right. I was like, there's a gunslinger. He follows a guy at the end. He caught the guy. That's the whole But it's the book. stuff the guy tells him. Oh. oh my goodness, the stuff the guy tells him. I wish everybody could see pictures <laughs> of our faces because I'm like elated and you just want to like throw up. Uh, oh, okay. It gets real, yeah. Okay, so the reviews I'm going to have you read touch on this, but don't say exactly this, which is like, the part at the end where it's just the size of the universe, the size of the universe, the size of the universe. It went on for forever and was mm-hmm. very repetitive. And at the end, I didn't understand why Roland has to get to the Dark Tower. That is never... If it's explained, I didn't understand it. We know that that's what he wants to do. And then the man in black tells him, like, you should not pursue that because... Pew! The universe! Expanding forever. And Roland was like, neat. I still have to get to the Dark Tower. Mm -hmm. Why? For what? What is the point? What happens if he doesn't get to it? What happens if he does get to it? Why do you have to go to the tower? Do you want me to answer? I guess. I feel like it should have been at least hinted at. I felt no motivation for why he should keep going. Because that's why the world has moved on. The tower is what holds it all together and it's in danger. Because something has infiltrated it. He could have said just that, and I would have been like, okay, this but series... Wouldn't that have been telling and not showing? I mean, any hint as to why this is a series, I have no idea at the end of this book 
what the benefit or consequences of going to the tower or not going to the tower are. Literally, why is he on this quest? There is no reason for him to keep going. And especially after the guy says, this is maybe the consequence, like, you well, should not go. And he's just like, neat, I still have to. I think, why? I think this book makes more clear why he shouldn't, which is that, like, it's the same, You like, the whole point of the size of the universe is you can't handle infinity. And that's yeah. where you're trying to get to. And it's going to destroy you. Yeah. And so I need a good reason for him to say, I hear you, that it'll blow my mind and maybe kill me, but I still have to keep going. I need to know why, even if it's not like the mm-hmm. whole answer, but just something bad will happen, dot, 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 dot. Keep reading the rest of the series mm-hmm. to find out what that thing is. There's no motivation for him ignoring this warning that it will torture your brain. But did you question, like, why the world that they're in is the way that it is? No, it's Stephen King. Because <laughs> that's why. I mean, the world is the way that it is with all that grossness because something's happening at the tower. Roland's the last gunslinger. He's the one that's going to do it. I was just like, I don't know. This is like a lot of fantasy where it parallels our world, but it's not quite. I mean, Pan Am is probably the United States. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And that gets a lot more complex. I was just like, it's kind of like our world, but it's not. I definitely did not see that something was in danger. Yeah, because then also, I mean, while it is similar to our world, Jake is obviously from From our our world. world. Yeah. He has memories of New York City and things that like we... It's obviously it's made clear that he's so how is it that I was just like it's Stephen King parallel universes he wrote a Cosmere yeah that I mean that I was just like yeah he wrote Mm -hmm. a Cosmere and it's all in danger because the tower is in danger I didn't know that you couldn't (laughs) tell the world is in danger when you read this book I mean I could tell that I would rather live in the New York City world than this (laughs) one with the weird people well but but i didn't know that it was in danger what if this world is just like this well that's so that's a good point so if you put together then what the man in black tells roland if this world is in danger and the dark tower is the connection of all worlds then our world could be in danger yep okay but i did not put together that the world that the gunslinger is in is in danger just that it sucks more than ours ah okay. okay there was not a sense of imminent danger it was just this one doesn't have enough water and everyone apparently is throwing their coochies at the the, the gunslinger (laughs) yeah it's but then you also get glimpses of like roland's childhood yeah where it clearly wasn't like that this book just didn't it didn't interest me enough to i don't know i tried i tried so hard i'm just trying to draw the draw the connections um i think but if if you didn't get them other people obviously didn't get them i'm sure yeah and that's the thing is like i mean and again, I have the benefit of foresight, hindsight, whatever you want to call it. True. I, I, I do feel really dumb, though, when I don't, like, catch the cool connection in books. But, like, no, I have that. a podcast talking about books. Like, I think I'm a good enough reader that usually I catch the stuff. Yeah. I, I catch on to themes. But, like, I did not catch these things. Well, and I think part of it, too, it's got to interest you, first of all, to look for those connections. Like, yeah. if you're not interested in westerns or high fantasy, which is kind of what... The flashbacks and the current... Yeah. Like I said at the beginning, I was like, okay, I could be here for this. Every Stephen King book I've started, I'm like, okay, fresh, clean slate, Stephen. Mm -hmm. You and me, we're in it together. You got me. First couple chapters, and then he just loses me every single middle. I'm like, oh my gosh, this has taken so long, I'm so bored. And then at the end, I'm just like, why don't I even try with you? I mean, that's fine. I'm so glad to hear you say that. It's really <laughs> Maybe fine. Maybe one day Kyle will say to me, <laughs> it is really fine. fine. It's, I mean, and it's a weird book. And like, it is weird. while I like the, as it goes further in, in the series, I tend to like the books better. It doesn't get less weird. It oh, gets yeah. more weird. I mean, <laughs> I, I have read the second one and I do know that much. It just keeps getting weirder. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I wouldn't, you know. If it's not your thing, it's not your thing. I know. I really wanted for the... I wanted for it to be my thing. I read the second one and started the third one. I don't think it's my thing, you guys. It's really okay. (laughs) It doesn't have to be... Romance is not my thing. Thrillers are not my thing. Stephen King does not have to be your thing. I'm so sorry, Stephen. I really tried. I respect your work and what you do, but... (laughs) I had had a friend once I went on vacation with, and her little sister... We are sitting in the condo in Florida, and she was just, like, staring at this jar of pickles... (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, hey, girl, what you doing? <laughs> well, that's a valid question. And she goes, I want to like pickles. 
And that was it. I was like, okay, we'll eat one. But I don't like pickles. <laughs> But I want to like... Look, you don't have to like the pickles. <laughs> it's really okay. Nobody's going to force feed you pickles. Except I'm forcing you to read Stephen King I mean, our podcast. We have a bit going, though. Right, right. The rest of the world can't force me to read Stephen King. I have now read this particular book twice, and I didn't like it better the second time. So you cannot say I did not give him no. a fair share. That is exactly I right. I gave Stephen his share, and it's just... It's and I really... I mean... Yeah, the connections are there, but if you're not interested in the content to begin with, why are you going to bother? Yeah. So, I think that's fair. Okay. Well, minus our one-star reviews, that is all I had to say about this book. Oh, okay. I I do know that this book is very important to you and Brandon. Sure. And it's also very important to Kyle. So, like, yeah. I wanted to understand, especially because three people who I really love. Thanks. Like, <laughs> are very, like, emotionally connected to this book. I wanted to get it. Like, other books that you've recommended, I don't feel bad being like, that's dumb. <laughs> you have a tattoo for this book. <laughs> I do. I was going to bring that up. Um, yeah. I assumed it would come up eventually. Yep. So, like, the fact that it's very emotionally important to three people whose opinions I trust and who I love, I want to get it. So explain it to I... me. I... Okay. Maybe I won't get it, but, like, I'm yeah, happy well, to hear me, it. I'll try. You don't have to get it. Okay. Although I do think this will be easier to explain than Murakami, but so well, I'll give it a go. I think most anything is <laughs> easier to explain than Murakami. Um, and I think one of the reasons it resonates with so many people is at its heart, like, if I were going to put it in a genre, it does a lot of things. It plays with a lot of genres. Like I said, like, it's basically set in a Western, but all of Roland's flashbacks, it's like suddenly you're in high fantasy and there's, like, castles and things, and you're like, oh, what's going on? But then people have guns. All that aside, I think if I were going to put it in one genre box, it's a quest. Yeah. That's all it is. It's a quest story. Stephen King has talked about his inspiration for this book and this whole series, and the first inspiration he cites is Tolkien. Sure. That was very big when he was a kid. You know, and he really wanted to write a quest. Yeah. Like that. But he has also pointed out other people were doing that. Stephen Donaldson was doing that. Terry Brooks was doing that. There were elves and dwarves everywhere. So he was like, I would like to write a quest minus the elves and dwarves and the vaguely Scandinavian setting. Every quest has elves and dwarves and a vaguely Scandinavian yeah. setting. So I appreciate his you hey, know, I his do too. drive there. I do too. So he had that. That was the kernel. I want a quest not set there. He didn't know where it was going to be set until he went one day to the theater house and watched The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly with Clint Eastwood. Oh, my goodness. And he was like, that. That's the setting I want for my quest. Because he said he was inspired by just the immense size of what, like, deserts you just go on yeah, and on. They're and, like the ocean, but the opposite. Yeah, and, and that, you know, we're better to put a quest. You have to trudge through this desert. And the magnificent dislocation is the way he put it, of a desert. Because a desert could literally be anywhere. Yeah. And you don't really know. There's Yeah, you can't put a country or a even a continent on right. it. It's just like So if you're going to infuse it with this fantasy element, well, okay. So first Tolkien, then we get, you know, Clint Eastwood. So we've got the quest, we've got the setting, so that gives it its Western feel. And then he was also inspired by a poem he read in college when he was a sophomore. It's Robert Browning's Child Roland to the Dark Tower came. You are going to love these one-star reviews. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) I'm not going to read this poem like I did with O Caledonia. It's very long. It's a very long poem. When I got into these books, I was like, I'm going to find this poem. I was like, man, this poem is long. (laughs) Um, But he read it when he was a sophomore. And obviously, that's where the main character gets his name. Roland, right? Um, He wanted to capture, he said, the feel of the poem more than the exact sense. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where we get some of the high fantasy elements. Um, so those are the three main inspirations he cites. Tolkien, Westerns, and Robert Browning's poem. So I love all that. I'm mash, on board. Mash them all together. Part of why you might have issues with the structure of this first book especially, it has an interesting publication history. Are you aware of it? No. So I have not heard this term. Have you heard the term fix-up novel? I mean, no, but it's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> okay, well... It was published in 1982, according to Wikipedia, as a fix-up novel. Um, It was joining five different short stories. 
that he had already published. Oh. So it's five chapters long, right? Each of these chapters was an individual short story. That is not what I would have assumed a fix-up novel was. So I take back my I, com- it's self-explanatory. I was yeah, anyway. Um, it was philosophically self-evident until it was not. I didn't know. I've, <laughs> I've never heard this term. Maybe somebody editing Wikipedia made it up. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so the original five short stories were published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction from October... 1978 to November 1981. Okay. So in 82, the book was published mashing those five stories together. And it went out of print initially until Pet Cemetery got published in 83 and the little blurb on the cover was like, author of The Gunslinger. Uh-huh. Because they were a year apart. And then fans were like, hey, what's The Gunslinger? We want to read it. And so it went back into print. And the whole series itself has a very interesting publication history. So there's seven books, right? He wrote the first four, and then he stopped for a long time. As authors are wont to do. Um, He stopped for a long time. Like, he got letters. (laughs) I was reading, I can't remember if it was, like, the prologue to the revised edition of The Gunslinger or or something else, but he he said he got letters. Like, he got a letter from a grandma that was like, hey, Stephen, I'm in my 80s. You gonna finish? I'm old. I'd love to know what happens to Roland and his friends. Um, if you could just tell me, even that'd be fine. <laughs> I promise I won't tell anybody. He got letters from death row inmates. Of course he did. Asking him, like, hey, I'll take it to my grave if you want to tell me. Bury the Green Mile. Yeah. And he says, even if I wanted to, I could not have told them. Because he didn't know it, which felt apparent in he his first one. He did not know until... Now, he finally got out of that funk um, in between four and five. He had a life-altering car accident. Mm. And when I say car accident, he was not in the car that hit him or in a car at all. Like, he was taking a walk and a van hit him. Oh, my goodness. And he almost died. (laughs) After he recovered from that, he went back and he wrote the last three books kind of all at the same time. And he figured out how it was all going to end. And then he went back and revised The Gunslinger. So the one that you listened to, I'm sure, would have been the revised version. Um, well, getting hit by a van always helps I know, with your creative like, block. And he, the, the introduction to the revised version is so funny because he's like, yeah, introductions aren't great. That's why you don't have an anthology of like 100 best American introductions <laughs> and forwards. They're just not great. He's like, but I think I need to give you one. So here it is. And he talks about he had also revised The Stand. And added a bunch of pages, and fans hated it. Oh, really? <laughs> and he's like, but I don't care. <laughs> and guess what? I'm doing it again. Several of the Stephen King books I've read had forewords by him, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed reading them, and I thought, oh, this will be information that will help me like this more, which is usually the kind of information mm-hmm. that I find in for. Alas, I still could not be persuaded alas to like lack. it. But yeah, I know Pet Cemetery had a foreword, and so did Salem's Lot. Yeah, Salem's Lot, actually, his wife er, rescued that book. Like, he threw it away. Yeah. It was the second one he wrote, but I don't think it's the second one he published. Mm, It Um, took a long time. Yeah. Anyway, so he didn't revise this one as heavily as he did The Stand. He added, like, whoa, a lot of words to this, like, anyway. This one, he added, like, 9,000 words, which ended up being, like, 35 pages or so. So not a lot, but he also fixed some things. Now that he knows where the story's going. Um, mm-hmm. Like, he aged Jacob a bit from the original. Um, the ending he made more ambiguous than the original. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> um, the original, I guess, had a lot more references to our world in Roland's world. So, he took some of those out to make it seem more separate. He humanized Roland more in Tull in his interactions with those, mm-hmm. particularly um, with the bad things that happened there. Anyway. So, yeah. This is... It was an interesting series for him. It has some personal significance for him. I'm glad he finished it. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I would have hated to be one of those people. Yeah. Uh, would have hated for him to pull a Patrick Rothfuss oh, or a George R. George R. R. Martin. I think I was talking to Brandon about it. He was like, yeah, he was having people writing to him saying, hey, finish this before I die. And we're saying to George R. R. Martin, hey, finish this before you die. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, whatever. At least with uh, Rothfuss, I think he intends to he might just be stuck on something martin was just like i got that game of thrones money like i don't need you who cares anymore who cares how it ends i don't know my connection with this book is really and we haven't talked a lot about this since our very first episode but like the time in my life when i read it it was very helpful to me 
Brandon and I had just moved to Savannah, Georgia for grad for Brandon to go to grad school. So we like did not have we're not around any family or friends. He was in grad school full full time and working a job part time. I was working a full time job that was very demanding. I just started at a brand new STEM school. It was awesome. I mean, I learned more in those two years than I learned I think anywhere else. But it was it was tough. Yeah. And we only had each other and we were both so busy. And so that's when I read these books. That's when I picked it up again. I was like, I got to have something when I come home. And like, I just devoured these books. And it was it was just great. And it was something we could talk about because Brandon had already read them. And so we really bonded over that. And yeah. And then by the time we were finished with our two years in Savannah, we got not matching tattoos, coordinating tattoos that reference both these books and um, Savannah itself. Like mine is a turtle that becomes significant in the books later on, but also the sea turtles in Savannah. And they both, um, both of our tattoos say Ka, which is another word from this book that means destiny. And the gunslinger's quartet is those who are bound by destiny. So, yeah, that's just my personal history with the books. And I like weird things. I like alternate, par- not alternate, parallel universes, other worlds. Yeah. All the weirdness with the conversation between the gunslinger and the man in black at the end. The man in black has many names, and he shows up in other books besides the Dark Tower books. Yes, Kyle loves to tell me about this. Oh, does he? Uh, any... <sighs> Kyle loves a Cosmere. Uh, uh, this, and this is one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Brandon Sanderson and Stephen King have mm-hmm. all of their books connect within the Cosmere. And right. it's not so obvious that you're like, I picked this one up and I can see how it attaches to this one. But they must have just like basements with red string and <laughs> like, right, right. because it all just connects. And so... Yeah, he loves to tell me, like, do you know that character goes by a different name in this book? Oh, yeah. Blah, 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 yeah. blah. So the man in black is Walter O'Dim, Randall Flagg, Martin Broadcloak, the walking dude. That's my favorite. The walking dude. <laughs> yeah, uh, he has many names. Have And Randall Flagg is from The Stand, right? Yes. Yeah. That's how he shows up there. Um, another Sanderson connection. I, I brought this up to Brandon, and I was surprised he had not thought of it first. Okay. Dear listener, you'll just have to go with us on this one. <laughs> Forgive us. Sanderson has a character similar that shows up. Hoyt. Yes, Hoyt or Wit. He goes yeah. by many names. He traverses worlds, but, like, he's the good version. Ah. And the man in black is kind of the same type of character. Evil Hoyt. But the evil version. Do you see that parallel? Yeah. Am I crazy? Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I just thought that was a... I just noticed that in this reread. I was like, oh, he's like Wit, but, like... I mean, I was Dad. I was thinking that, like, oh, yeah, he has a character who, you know, shows up all the time in other places, too. Because if you're going to have a Cosmere, you got to have that one character yeah, that can hop worlds it. and, you know, and he can pull people through worlds, as we see with Jake. And Wit is so much more fun. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he, he's also a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> the man in black, not a nice guy. Um, Still don't understand why, even though I've been told he's bad, but this book does not indicate the ways in which he's bad. It's just like... I don't know. Randall said he's bad. Yeah, well, he does. He is Roland, an, not Randall. That's he's like. It was just very like. Take my word for it. He dresses in black. He must be bad. So it's like I'm gonna make another Lord of the Rings parallel. Please. It's like we have never been nerdier. I this is yep. Here we go. It's like Sauron and Saruman. Like Sauron is the big baddie, and Saruman's just kind of doing his bidding. Yes, that, that was clear. That's what the Man in Black is. There's also a tower. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is. <laughs> a bad one, because it's dark. Uh, but... I haven't mentioned my friend from Canada in a while, but... Please do. Um, After our Homeland episode, he just sent me a gift that was like, nerd. And I was like, dude, <laughs> you do not even know. Like, you do not want to sit around with me and my friends. Like, it no. gets way worse. My husband and Jordan play magic every single Sunday, yeah. and Brandon got you into it, like... We are hardcore nerds, and I'm the least nerdy of all of them. So you was really like, are. I was like, boy, if you think I'm nerdy, you need to just go talk to Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I had a student one time. So I have a friend that I taught with, and he w- we were good friends, and we were both into nerd things. And he told one of our, our shared students that I was a big nerd, and, and she was telling me this. And she was like, Mr. So-and-so said, you know, you're nerdier than I think you are. And I was like, oh, yeah. And you should meet my friends. <laughs> and she says, so, like... Do you like Back to the Future? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, that's that's 
that's your litmus test for how much of a nerd I am? That yeah. shows that you're not much of a nerd. You're going to, yeah, you're going to need to listen to that other teacher because he's right when he said you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. And then I would have just been like, and you should meet my husband. But, yeah. It, anyway. I, so I really enjoy. I enjoy oh, I'm sorry. Quest. I interrupted you saying something. You were like, you're just going to have to stick with us. Uh, you no, I made my whole point. Okay. Like, okay. He's like, he's the agent of darkness, but not like the apotheosis of it, right. you know, not the source, but he, yeah. he works for the Dark Lord. But yeah, I, I enjoy a good quest. I love parallel universes and weird stuff. And Stephen King, I think his world building is pretty cool. Yeah. I like the way, like... <laughs> Again, if you can melt, make a Cosmere, your world build, building is good. I wouldn't e- I would have to have Excel spreadsheets to, like, even yes, keep track of it. Yes, and that, I think that um, keeps me engaged more, that it's, yeah. and it's my bag, I guess, more than yours necessarily. Like, I'll keep going, because I just like that. I don't know. Um, it's so intriguing to me, like, all the little pieces of our world, like the fact that there's a abandoned gas pump. Yes, <laughs> and they, like... They think it's like a religion or yes, something. They name their god Amico. <laughs> that's what it says on the gas. I pump. really like that it becomes like a weird cultish religion. I'm like, that's a gas station. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I just love all the little bits of our world that are mm-hmm. in it, but it's also so different. I did like that part. I like that cognitive dissonance it it throws me into. So I, I enjoy his world building. He does a thing for me that like David Lynch does with films, because there were moments in this series of books not in the first book more in like the last three where and david lynch does this in film it's like he's taken my weirdest darkest dreams (laughs) dreams that i don't even remember having and suddenly has just displayed them in front of me in a way i could have never done or explained myself but i feel like oh he has seen that part of me i didn't even know was there (laughs) it's very illuminating and electrifying and terrifying (laughs) And that is what, I don't know. I'm a little afraid of you now. <laughs> not the parts you read. I'm not talking about those parts. Um, oh, I knew that much. <laughs> uh, more of the fantastical elements that become a lot more evident as you get into the series. And I think you get the biggest glimpse of it in that last chapter where he has his palaver with the man in black. He loves that word. He uses it in the foreword. And All I was like, Stephen, you're even going to bring that word into the foreword? Oh, yeah. There are so many... And that's another part of his world building is the language that yeah. Roland uses. Like, you kin it? Yeah. Do you kin? Do you know? Um, you know, there's ca- There's the greeting, long days and pleasant nights. Yeah. Um, man, there was another one. Um, you need to remember the face of your father. Remember the face of your father. And if you're yeah. shamed, you have forgotten the face of your mm-hmm. father. Yeah, I've been coming up with all these this week, and I've been telling them to Brandon, like, hey, I'm going to start the episode by saying this to Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> well, instead, we discussed whether or not you would like to look or feel like a potato. I, well, that's more fun. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I liked I liked the greetings. I like cultural stuff like that mm-hmm. in a fantasy novel where it's like, ah, that's just a little, like, a tweak on what we do, and it's... Yeah, and there was one moment, even, that stood out to me that so much that I actually... I read it out loud to Brandon again. Like As one I, does. Like I do. And I think I only noticed it now because I'm a mother. Because Roland was remembering like lullabies that his mom mm-hmm. would sing to him. But then he says in the narration, but of course only at nap time. Because as any young boy of Gilead would, he must face the dark alone. I'm like, oh, dang. It's <laughs> not allowed in the nursery when you are going to bed. Like, that is rough. My child would not be okay with these rules. But I, I just looked at, yeah, we still put both of our boys to bed. And I'm just like, Brandon, this is intense. Also, we have to have multiple lights on in my daughter's room because she's afraid of the lions that are obviously oh, going right. to get her. Yeah, the Jesus lions. <laughs> well, Jesus and his lion is constantly prowling. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah, that's... I mean, that's why I like this book. I saw a couple people call it dystopia. Like, it is not dystopia. No. It is an alternate world that we are in. A dystopian alternate world, perhaps, but it's not. And the boundary between Roland's world and our world slash Jake's world becomes looser. um, And there's more back and forth between it as you get into the series. Yeah. It's also really interesting, and it becomes very metafiction. I know that that in the second book, we go to our world, mm-hmm. uh, find some people. And I know that the lobstrosities, that's all oh, that I the remember. Lobstrosities. That's all that I remember from Datachum? Datachum. <laughs> um, I will go ahead. I'm just going to say this too. Like Stephen King, he becomes a character later in the books. Of course he does. Like 
One day I hope to be that. And he does it in a way that is, like, it is not weird. And by the time you get there, you're like, this checks out. And, like, if you can do that, hey, go ahead. This is why I hate saying I don't like him, because that's really cool. So we've talked about genre a lot. So I just wanted to read this quote from Stephen King. He has the foreword to the revised edition, but then he also has this essay. I don't know if you read it. It's called On Being 19 and Other Things. Mm -hmm. And it's where I got some of the information about, like, his inspiration for this book. And he says in in that essay, Those who are bound for more literary or, quote, serious side of the job examine every possible subject in light of this question. What would writing this sort of story mean to me? Those whose destiny, or ka, if you like, is to include the writing of popular novels are apt to ask a very different one. What would writing this sort of story mean to others? Hmm. The serious novelist is looking for answers and keys to the self. The popular novelist is looking for an audience. Both kinds of writer are equally selfish. (laughs) I thought he was going to say equally valuable, but no. (laughs) Selfish. Um, So I thought that was interesting since we've talked about like literary fiction and genre fiction. His distinction is that who are you writing for? Are you writing for yourself or are you writing for an audience? Yeah. And also like he didn't tell you which one he is. I noticed that. I think he does both. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has some stinkers (laughs) that are more like I'm just cranking out another novel. Here you go. Very, and he has some that are very genre, like very horror Mm -hmm. or whatever. But then he's got these books and like the stand. I think he can just do whatever he wants at this point, which, like, go you. Yeah. If you can just be like, I'm going to do whatever I want, publisher. I'm Stephen King. Yeah. I respect that. Mad props. Yeah. I don't like your writing, though. I mean, and that's fine. I think he, I don't think he'd care. I don't know. Oh, I, I'm certain much. he would be very influenced by my personal <laughs> opinion on his writing. Yeah. I don't know. Did that shed any light for you? I understand why you like it. I just still don't. Okay, that's fine. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Just understand why I like it. Um, But I understand why you don't like it. He's great. He's gritty and weird. Yeah. And the lobstrosities are just the beginning. I, <laughs> my mother made lobster bisque for dinner tonight. Oh, no! And I was just thinking, lobstrosity, as I was eating it. And uh, I, like, could not finish my dinner before coming here. Do you know what was so devastating about that scene? It's the, it's the first scene of the second book, the drawing of the three. It's like, he's gone through, clearly, a lot, and come <laughs> out of it relatively unscathed, and then suddenly... I'm going to lose three fingers because I fell asleep. And a lobster ate it. (laughs) It's like, I always hate that in books where it's like, you go through all this stuff and then it's that little thing that gets you. Yeah, the tiny little thing. You're like, oh, man. Yep. And then you still got like six books to go and now he's missing Now you just don't have fingers. And yeah. It's tough. Life's tough. I think it's funny that you said that people say the second book is better. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's better, but this series is weird in that it, it focuses on four main characters. You only meet two of them in the first book. And mm-hmm. then you got to get to the second book to meet the other two. Yeah. So it's like really weird in that way. It's almost like you have to read the first two books in order to understand the quartet that you're going to follow through the rest of the series. Right. Well, I did. And I, I still did not want to uh, read the third. So I think that makes your opinion more valid. Thank you. Because you know all the characters now. Okay. You want me to read some one-star reviews? Yeah. Um, so there were lots of reviews for this book because it's been around for forever, and it's Stephen right. King. People know about him, so there were sure. lots of reviews. So I had to be even, like, really picky. I was like, there are 85 wonderful one-star reviews, so I had to I had So to we got down. some good ones. I think so. Is that what you're saying? Um, so here's the first one, and this actually flips over to the next page. And I highlighted this word so that you would be aware it's coming if you want to change it. And if you don't want to okay. change it, I can bleep it out. Okay. So, Jess, before I read these, I have to, I was wondering how many of these are, like, people that like his horror novels, and then they picked up this weird sci-fi fantasy, and they're like, what is this? There was some of that, but I don't know that that's really what these are about. Okay, cool. Jess, I really, really, underlined, really did not enjoy this. Reading this book was like having a one-sided conversation with a relative who just won't shut up about something. They waffle on. They waffle on. Mm -hmm. That's nice. They go on tangents, and you really want to get up and get a drink, make dinner, do some laundry, anything except continue to listen to the madness-inducing dribble that they keep shouting, spouting, sorry. 
but for the sake of manners and propriety, you have to endure the endless tirade, even though you'd rather stab yourself in the face than have to listen to one more sentence. She was not a fan. <laughs> she was not. Is it bad manners to DNF a book? <laughs> Just put it down, girl. <laughs> no one's going to know. I told someone today, life is too short to read books that you don't like. For My real. podcast notwithstanding. <laughs> uh, yeah, why do we... I know, I've always had that phrase, like, if you don't want to read a book, like, you don't have to finish it. Life's too short. And then I was like, you know what we should do? We literally set that up. Anyway, okay. Artemy? Sure. Artemy? Okay. What I learned from this book. The gunslinger is the gunslinger. The gunslinger slings guns. The gunslinger loves to shoot people. Well, he's good at it. I don't know that he loves it. The gunslinger does this thingy with his fingers to load his guns. The gunslinger Fs women, that's me editing, when they ask him nicely. (laughs) I don't think they ask him nicely. (laughs) Anyway, the gunslinger rolls his own cigarettes. The gunslinger takes LSD. Oh, yeah. Not because he likes it, but because he has to. The gunslinger needs to get to the man in black. Dark tower, dark tower, dark tower, dark tower, dark tower. (laughs) That was in all caps. The gunslinger almost dies. The gunslinger doesn't die. The gunslinger rolls a cigarette. I didn't like anything about it. (laughs) The characters are flat and boring and get virtually no development throughout the book. The world building is extremely vague. Well, I don't know about that. The plot is minimal and what there is of it is dry and unexciting. But worst of all, this book is borderline unreadable because of how it's written. Stephen King even admits that himself in the foreword and he quotes the foreword. The Gunslinger did not even sound like the later books. It was, frankly, rather difficult to read. That young man who wrote this book has been exposed to far too many young... Oh, I love this quote. Far too many writing seminars and had grown far too used to the ideas those seminars promulgate. That one is writing for other people rather than oneself. That language is more important than story. That ambiguity is to be preferred over clarity and simplicity, which are usually signs of a thick and literal mind. As a result, I was not surprised to find a high degree of pretension in Roland's debut appearance, not to mention what seemed like thousands of unnecessary adverbs. I removed as much of this hollow blather as I could and do not regret a single cut made in that regard. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so he even admits that... Yeah, which I think we talked about before with a series... You yeah. get to see a writer progress, certainly. You're probably never going to go back to your earlier work and be like, that was excellent. Yeah, but this is interesting because in light of the quote that I just read earlier, like, do you write for your audience or do you write for self? I think he might write for self if it, he's saying, like, this is what I was told to write and that I one said, is writing, never mind. Yeah, that he was taught the lie that one is writing for other people rather than oneself. So maybe he started Ooh. as one. Writing for the audience. We've put together the puzzle based on two Stephen King quotes. I know. This is cool. He started out as the the popular novelist when he wrote this, and then by the end of it, he is the more serious novelist writing for self. Interesting. They're both equally selfish. Yeah. <laughs> he, he thinks of them the same way. Oh, that's, that's cool. Because I remember reading that when I read the foreword, but I didn't put the two together. Thank you, Artemy. Shelby is not so loquacious. Okay, so I've always thought Stephen King was wonderful. However, I can't see it in this book. Like a weird guy on drugs wrote it. I don't think I'll try the rest of this series. And I thought that was particularly (laughs) ironic because are you aware of Stephen King's drug history? He wrote several books while literally on drugs. I knew he wrote while he was intoxicated, like drunk. I knew he had a drinking problem. I'm pretty sure drugs, too. Like, there are several books where he was like, don't remember writing it. I just know that I probably did. And yet he still probably made (laughs) a whole bunch of money. Those books are more popular than some, like, they're so popular. And he was like, literally don't remember doing it. So I included that one because of the irony that she's like, sounds like he was on drugs. I was like, sweetie, he might have been. Like, do you know? He might have been. He -hmm. has admitted several books that he straight up wrote while on drugs. Okay, here's the last one trike? I guess. Okay. Here's how I think this book came about. One day Stephen King, high as a kite, drinking hard and dropping acid, sat around and watched a Clint Eastwood marathon on TV one Sunday. It had a couple spaghetti westerns and a couple Dirty Harry movies in his inebriated and stoned state, fading in and out of lucidity. He scribbled some notes that were a mashup of Philip K. Dick and action movies. He vaguely remembered a poem from high school about Tom O'Bedlam and the Child Roland, and all of that got remixed with a swizzle stick into this weird concoction. He eventually wrote a bunch of short stories based on this unholy brew, then collected them into this fix-up novel. Oh, he uses the phrase. Mm-hmm. 
By the time King gets to the unsatisfying confrontation between the gunslinger and the man in black, I felt like I'd been dragged through the highlight reel of Clint Eastwood's Ouvoir. Ouvoir? Ouvre. 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 It's French. Yep. Does that mean egg? I am. No, it's like their body of work. But anyway, but it's French. But isn't French? I don't know. Have Is you it seen in French? Oh, I don't gosh. know. Have you seen that like little video where people look up all the those French words? It's like meow 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 meow. Oh, I saw one that was like taunt taunt taunt. <laughs> I've watched several. Anyway, They're really funny. Sorry, Trike. Back to your one star review. Since that confrontation consists entirely of the two men essentially going, dude, what if, like, the solar system is just an atom and a giant's fingernail? Whoa, mind blown, bro. This doesn't make me want to continue with this series. (laughs) So that one mentioned the poem. It mentioned Clint Uh Eastwood. Isn't that who you mentioned earlier? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it mentioned the poem, Clint Eastwood, and his drug addiction, and... Like, this one-star review might be entirely accurate. I Yeah, I Um, mean... You I, nailed it. I was just down for it, I guess. <laughs> in the absence of doing real drugs, as we've established I don't do in the last episode, I'll just read this. Yeah, I especially thought his last sentence, like, the end went on for forever, and it was just like, dude, like, what if it's so big? No, like, bigger than that. And then it keeps going, and I was like, yes, the universe I, is so big. I loved that part. <laughs> it was so cool to me. I was, but those are the thoughts I, like, think to myself sometimes. How did that not break Brandon's brain? Doesn't he have a... I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe I'll ask you. <laughs> you okay, man? Yeah, I, I like, yeah, I would like when I was a kid, I remember sitting and thinking like, like trying to take my thoughts to the furthest logical conclusion they could go like, but what if this? But what? I remember, I remember one day distinctly staring into one of those floor registers where like the heat would come up, you know, because mm-hmm. in the winter in Indiana, we'd sit with our feet on them. They were sure. But I was just staring into it going like, but what happens after that? But what happens after that? <laughs> and the, and the, oh, man. And this is how we become the adults that we are today. Oh, boy. <laughs> See? So, anyway, that's great. Welcome to the Dark Tower. Okay. <laughs> well, you may want to read this book and the six others that follow it, uh, and you may not. And you know so, what? Either way is fine. Yeah, definitely let us know if we've convinced you to either read or not read one or, of these. Or we've convinced you to read one of the books we mention all the time anyway, like Brandon yeah, Sanderson. Yeah, we did. Someone <laughs> came up to us and was like, I guess I have to read Brandon Sanderson, so I started it and was like, ha we've but done it's it. It's great. Um, but that's something we both Yeah, love. shout out to Kaz. We know that he listens, so yeah, yeah thanks yeah. Kaz for telling us that you picked up Brandon Sanderson. And he is worth reading. I think we can both agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so next week, man, I'm excited. Okay. You're going to read Verity by Colleen Hoover. I've already started it. I'm so excited. Like I usually have. This is one I, like, knew about from my students. This one has a lot of hype. Yes, So, So I know a little bit about it, but I'm going into it fresh, so. All right. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love. And the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week. source but he he works for the dark lord cool you know that's his job awesome that i I don't know i also work for the dark